This is Mark Romali, Leslie's executive producer, uh, honored as always and privileged to fill in for the one, the only Leslie Marshall. Uh, Leslie has taken her holiday break a little bit early. Um, she uh, has given me the honor to uh, guest host today, and then she's also got some excellent never-heard-before uh, pre-recorded interviews that will be airing coming up, as well as... Um, some other great uh, guests and guest hosts. But today, um, we are going to be joined by a great friend of the show that you've heard uh, many times before, uh, our good friend Nicholas Wapshot, who is the opinion editor at Newsweek, as well as uh, a great author. His newest book is titled The Sphinx, Franklin Roosevelt, The Isolationists, and the Road to World War II. Nicholas's book is available at www.norton.com forward slash books and amazon.com. And we are going to be talking about last night's GOP debacle, or debate, debate, Freudian slip. That was that was poor delivery. I, I you know you knew I did that on purpose, Nicholas. But but I had to pretend it pretend uh, it was on accident. But no, I mean in a lot of ways after watching that last night, you know Nicholas and I were joking kind of off air. You know I was telling him how much I was dreading uh, watching it, and uh, my dread was uh, not lessened at all after watching it last night. If you believed uh, in everything they said, I think you come out of that debate, you know, hiding in your closet and you know just being terrified, or, or that's what they'd like you to, to to feel anyway. That's kind of what I came away as the main theme. What did you come away with, Nicholas? Well, there was more heat than light, wasn't there? It's, uh, I think it was a more ordered debate in as much as there was more substance being thrown around. But I'm not sure that uh, the race has moved on very much, actually. It was billed as the great time that everybody's going to gang up on Donald Trump. That didn't happen. It was the, the thought that Ted Cruz would somehow find himself undermined by Trump. That didn't happen. Uh, but, you know, for people like us who like watching the horse race, you know, of course, it's very interesting to see someone nose ahead and go back a little bit. Uh, it was a, it, altogether, it was a fascinating. It went on and on forever, didn't it, by the way? 18 million Americans watched it, apparently. Uh, they couldn't have anything better to do because it wasn't as entertaining as many of the previous bun fights that we've had. It was much more serious in tone as it might be because it was meant to be about foreign affairs and about who was really the best commander-in-chief on offer. And then you get the, the thing which it, it always seems a bit odd, doesn't it? And all of these suits, uh, excuse me if one of them has appeared in, uh, in uniform uh, in his life, but uh, for the most part, they're, you know, they're pure poles, and they come out talking tough. And a lot of it is wholly implausible when they go off attacking the president and so on, because actually what they say is that they're going to do exactly what the president is going to say. When Ted Cruz says, we're going to hit the bad guys, that's exactly what the president's going to do. So the Many of the boasts about I can be tougher than the existing president uh, don't ring true to me. Uh, but still, it's a, we've got lots to talk about, lots of incidents and so on. It, uh, I, I wouldn't want to delay getting to the real nitty-gritty of it. But just the general picture is I think that, um, as I say, more heat than light. I don't think we actually – nothing was solved by the – No, night. absolutely not. And I think you know you analyze it very well in a quick summary. We are going to delve deeper into it. And for those of you uh, who didn't watch it – because you knew we were going to do the dirty work for you while well, you're in luck. We made sure to uh, highlight some of the best audio uh, from last night. And we're going to start off, well, before we do, if you'd like to join in at any point, the number is 8886-LESLIE. That's 
4-3. I would get in line now because I'm sure the uh, lines are going to fill up fast. We will try to get to everyone, but just know uh, at this point, um, Nicholas and I are going to have a lot to say about this, and we always love to take your calls, but you have a much better shot of getting on if you call early. You may have to wait a little bit as we delve through some of the audio, but you'll be thankful for it because you'll get to hear it uh, as well. So uh, the first exchange I'm going to play is what some people were calling um, the key moment of last night's debate, or at least the key sound clip, which was an exchange between uh, former Florida Governor uh, Jeb Bush and, um, I don't know, maniac Donald Trump. We need toughness, honestly. I think Jeb is a very nice person. He's a very nice person, but we need tough people. We need toughness. We need intelligence, and we need tough. Jeb said when they come across the southern border, they come as an act of love. You said in September 30th that ISIS was not a I, I, Am I talking or are you talking, Jeb? I'm you talking right back. now. I'm talking. You can go back. You're not talking. talking. You interrupted me, September 30th, Jeb. Are you going to apologize, said Jeb? No. Am I allowed to finish? Yes, one at a time. Excuse go ahead, me. Mr. Am I allowed to finish? Go ahead, Mr. Trump. So, little of your again, I, 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 I know you're trying Governor to build Bush. up your energy, Please. Jeb, but it's not one, working One at a time. Look, look, look. We need a toughness. We need strength. We're not respected as a, you know, as a nation anymore. We don't have that level of respect that we need. And if we don't get it back fast, we're just going to go weaker, weaker, and just disintegrate. We can't allow that to happen. We need strength. We don't have it. When Jeb comes out and he talks about the border, and I saw it, and I was witness to it, and so was everyone else, and I was standing there, they come across as an act of love. He's saying the same thing right now with radical Islam. And we can't have that in our country. It just won't work. We need strength. Governor Bush. Donald, uh, you're not going to be able to insult your way to the presidency. That's not going to happen. And I do have the strength. Leadership, leadership, is not, leadership is not about attacking people and disparaging people. Leadership is about creating a serious strategy to deal with the threat of our time. And I laid out that strategy before the attacks uh, in Paris and before the attacks in San Bernardino. And it is the way, that, the, of the way forward. We need to increase our military spending. We need to deal with a no-fly zone in Syria, a safe zone. We need to focus on building a military that is second Thank to you. none so that we can destroy Islamic terror. With Jeb's attitude, we will never be great again. That I can tell you. Nicholas, I think that was, pro- for, for what many people thought, that was probably Jeb Bush's strongest debate moment yet. I felt it was anyway. What did you think about that exchange? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a do-or-die moment, wasn't it? I mean, how many chances has it been, been given uh, to reinstate his position six months ago? Jeb Bush was, the, you know, among the front runners, if not the front runner, and he's just melted away. So this was a good chance, and he, he did a number of things, and he achieved them very, first of all, it's very, he's a very difficult man to like, isn't he? He's so oh, he is. Up. He's so starched shirt, and particularly when you come across somebody a bit more rock and roll like uh, Donald Trump, who really doesn't care what he says. But the, in this instance, I think that he did very well. First of all, that you can't insult your way to the presidency. I think there are a lot of Republicans, a lot of Americans in general, who are just appalled at what's happened to the political process on the Republican side, where uh, a number of uh, candidates, but led by Trump, are able to say absolute nonsense. They're never called to account. Uh, they repeat endlessly mantras where they will just say it's going to be fantastic you just won't believe what it's going to be like oh yeah we're going to win all the time 
All the time, exactly. Yeah. And it's, so Jeb was quite right to say, you're not going to insult your way. And what's more, there was a very good sort of robust thing. If you're going to stand up to a bully and he says, who's, hey, who's talking? He said, I'm talking right now. He talked over him. And I think that actually showed that as much as uh, Bush would like him to be a sort of milk toast, uh, to portray Jeb Bush as a milk toast guy, uh, there's probably more iron and steel up his backbone than we would imagine. I would have thought even to survive in that Bush family, hugely competitive, uh, they've got public service in their eyes all the time. You've got that fantastic battle axe of a mother uh, who's uh, peering over poor Jeb at every moment. <laughs> uh, he's had to apologize for smoking grass to well in public. Uh, I, I think that uh, it, it did Jeb no end of good. At least it won him some space until, I guess, till New Hampshire. We've got two primaries coming up, or at least we've got one caucus state, Iowa. Very difficult to organize a caucus. Uh, it seems that uh, between Trump and Cruz, that's done. But then in short order after that is New Hampshire, which is a much more traditional sort of place. The Northeast, by the way, is Bush and Walker territory. Uh, he will do better than people ever imagine. And that's what you want to do. You want to, uh, in, in this sort of game, you want to overcome the expectations. So you talk yourself down, and then when you do a little better than expected, then you paint it as a great triumph. And I think that allows Jeb Bush to survive, at least until uh, next year. You know, I, I noticed he did much better, believe, believe it or not, I thought, in the actual debate versus, I thought his opening and closing remarks were just painful to watch because he just couldn't stop tripping over himself. Uh, the, the the very last one, I just my stomach, the pit of my stomach was in pain watching him try to finish. So I thought that was yeah. kind of surprising because he seems very canned. But when he got going, I thought he did well. This is going to be another clip uh, where I thought, you know, again, Jeb Bush, who, you know, I, I usually would never praise, uh, did a good job of highlighting why uh, Donald Trump's policy to uh, forbid uh, allowing Muslims to uh, enter the country is a, not only ridiculous, but a bad strategy if you actually want to defeat ISIS. Governor Bush. You called Mr. Trump unhinged when he proposed banning non-American Muslims from the United States. Why is that unhinged? Well, first of all, we need to destroy ISIS in the caliphate. That's, that should be our objective. The refugee issue will be solved if we destroy ISIS there, which means we need to have a no-fly zone, safe zones there for refugees, and to build a military force. We need to embed our forces, our troops, inside the Iraqi military. We need to arm directly the Kurds. And all of that has to be done in concert with the Arab nations. And if we're going to ban all Muslims, how are we going to get them to be part of a coalition to destroy ISIS? The Kurds are the greatest fighting force and our strongest allies. They're Muslim. Look, this is not a serious proposal. In fact, it will push the Muslim uh, world, the Arab world, away from us at a time when we need to re-engage with them to be able to create a strategy to destroy ISIS. So Donald, you know, is great at, at the uh, one-liners, but he's a chaos candidate, and he'd be a chaos president. He would not be the commander-in-chief we need to keep our country safe. So that, again, was Jeb Bush. Uh, before we go into any more analysis, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with uh, Nicholas Wapshot, opinion editor at Newsweek and uh, a great author uh, to boot. This is Mark Grimaldi with The Leslie Marshall Show, Leslie's executive producer. If you'd like to join in and comment on uh, the Republican debate from last night, we're taking your calls at 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. 
stronger because of the hawks in your party. Do you really think that Republicans have fueled the rise of ISIS? I think that by arming the allies of ISIS, the Islamic rebels against Assad, that we created a safe space or made that space bigger for ISIS to grow. I think those who have wanted regime change have made a mistake. When we toppled Gaddafi in Libya, I think that was a mistake. I think ISIS grew stronger, we have a failed state, and we are more at risk. I'd like to also go back to, though, another question, which is, is Donald Trump a serious candidate? The reason I ask this is, if you're going to close the Internet, realize, America, what that entails. That entails getting rid of the First Amendment, okay? It's no small feat. If you are going to kill the families of terrorists, realize that there's something called the Geneva Convention we're going to have to pull out of. It would defy every norm that is America. So when you ask yourself, whoever you are, that think you're going to support Donald Trump, think, do you believe in the Constitution? Are you going to change the Constitution? <laughs> so they can kill us, but we can't kill them. That's what you're saying. And as far as the Internet is concerned, I'm not talking about closing the Internet. I'm talking about parts of Syria, parts of Iraq, where ISIS is spotting it. Now, you could close it. What I like even better than that is getting our smartest and getting our best to infiltrate their Internet so that we know exactly where they're going, exactly where they're going to be. I like that better. But we have to... Who would be, I just can't imagine somebody booing. These are people that want to kill us, folks. And you're, you're objecting to us infiltrating their conversations? I don't think so. I don't think so. Senator Paul. Senator Paul, I want to go back to my initial question, which is you saying that ISIS grew stronger because of hawks in your party. And do you think that your own party, the people who you're describing, are responsible for the rise of ISIS? I think that if you believe in regime change, you're mistaken. In 2013, we put 600 tons of weapons, us, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, into the war against Assad. By pushing Assad back, we did create a safe space. We had people coming to our foreign relations committee and saying, oh, we need to arm the allies of al-Qaeda. They are still saying this. It is a crazy notion. This is the biggest debate we should be having tonight, is, is regime change a good idea? Has it been a good idea? There are still people, the majority on the stage, they want to topple Assad. And then there'll be chaos, and I think ISIS Senator, will then be in charge Senator, of Syria. Gonna... Nicholas, we uh, unpacking the last two clips. You saw Donald Trump challenged on three fronts uh, by, by Jeb Bush and Rand Paul, which was his policy to forbid Muslims from uh, entering the country temporarily, um, killing the relatives of terrorists. I can't believe some of the stuff I'm saying, but that he said. <laughs> and then yeah. number three, uh, closing off parts of the Internet. So I thought he was 
pretty strongly challenged on all three. What did you think of the challenges uh, posed to him and how he reacted? Uh, well, the uh, the straight uh, banning of Muslims, of course, has actually been well rehearsed well before last night's debate. So that in, in a way, that sort of the zinger came out of that uh, punch in that debate, I think. What was fascinating, though, was, of course, hearing Rand Paul, who's he's sort of a conservative, but he's probably more a libertarian than a conservative, attacking someone who is posing, this is uh, Donald Trump, who's posing as a good conservative, when actually he's, I'd, I'd use the term advisedly, but he's, he's like a fascist. What he, what he says is, one man and the best people can sort all this out. You know, elect me president and I'll sort it out, and let's not be too worried about the constitutional niceties. There's little more un-American to someone, a constitutionalist like Rand Paul, than for someone like Donald Trump to be doing so well uh, among a, a group of voters that Rand Paul thought he knew. But actually, of course, there is a world of difference between the sort of mob that's following uh, uh, Donald Trump. Trump and, yeah. Sorry, and, 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 and the, the, the very particular and well-reasoned uh, tribe that follows Rand Paul and, of course, followed Ron Paul in, in the uh, previous years. It's, what, what is interesting is to see Ron Paul... Rand Paul's father had a huge following of very young people. It's rather like Obama. He had them all online. They were all amazingly active. Uh, they were interactive. They, they ran the, the whole thing. They kept him afloat, too, it, with small amounts of money, but they, they kept Ron Paul's efforts afloat. Rand Paul doesn't seem to have managed to hold on to his father's tribe. He's got some of it, but the rest seems to have drifted off into, I guess, you know, rather flashier salesmen like Donald Trump. And, uh, of course, Ted Cruz being the, the biggest one of all. If, if I think Rand Paul, in order to get to Donald Trump, would have done better to have attacked Cruz in the first place, because there are many interesting differences between Rand Paul and Ted Cruz that didn't come out last night. And they may never get out now, because actually, the, you know, the argument may have moved on. But anyway, the, it, the interesting thing is that as reasonable as Rand Paul sounded, it won't do him any good among GOP primary voters and caucus goers. For some reason, he has now been discounted. And that can be said of a number of other people on that stage last night that we know really we're not going to see too lo too much longer. Uh, I think that's like a great point, Nicholas. i got to jump in real quick here just because we have a hard break coming up, but uh, we'll hear more from Nicholas after the break. If you'd like to join us, uh, that number is 8886-LESLIE. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall with the great Nicholas Wapshot. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Leslie's executive producer, Mark Romaldi. I'm joined by the opinion editor of Newsweek and a good friend of the show, Nicholas Wapshot. We are talking about last night's Republican debate. If you'd like to join us, the number to do so is 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. You've heard exchanges between Jeb Bush and Donald Trump as well as Rand Paul and Donald Trump. Uh, we are now going to play a clip which I thought was probably, how did I put this, one of the most ridiculous attacks of the night on President Obama. And there were plenty to choose from, but I thought this was probably the most ridiculous attack on President Obama and Hillary Clinton, uh, and you'll hear why. We're going to go to clip number seven. America has been betrayed. We've been betrayed by the leadership that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton have provided to this country over the last number of years. Think about just what's happened today. The second largest school district in America, in Los Angeles, closed based on a threat. Think about the effect that that's going to have on those children. 
when they go back to school tomorrow, wondering, filled with anxiety about whether they're really going to be safe. Think about the mothers who will take those children tomorrow morning to the bus stop, wondering whether their children will arrive back on that bus safe and sound. Think about the fathers of Los Angeles who tomorrow will head off to work and wonder about the safety of their wives and their children. What has Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton done to this country? That the most basic responsibility of an administration is to protect the safety and security of the American people. I will tell you this, I'm a former federal prosecutor, I fought terrorists and won, and when we get back in the White House, we will fight terrorists and win again, and America will be safe. Most ridiculous comment of the night, in my opinion, by Chris Christie right there, blaming President Obama and Hillary Clinton for the decision made by a superintendent of schools in Los Angeles, California, which they had zero control over, A. B, it was a hoax of a, uh, an email sent from Germany, okay? And C, did anybody else notice that Chris Christie just assigned all the mothers are going to be dry, taking the kids to school while all the fathers work. I mean, it gives you a little bit of an indication of his worldview and what he thinks of women. Um, but beyond that, uh, you know, that was my opinion on that. I want to hear Nicholas's before we go to uh, some of the calls. So, Nicholas, what did you think of that from Chris Christie? Well, it, it was totally absurd. Uh, Chris Christie, is, I guess, has got to do something to draw attention to himself uh, because he's just a non-starter. He, it, in many respects, he should be the most electable in the general election. Uh, as it happens, though, he's got to get past a lot of people he's already dismissed as crazy people, which are all the people who support Trump. He's, he's, he's actually good for him. He's on record as uh, actually calling out the people within his own party who say ridiculous things. So it's odd to find him saying a ridiculous thing like this and overlarding it too, going through every last fa family member as if somehow a trauma about a day off school that turned out to be a, you know, a joke is, is going to cause a genuine trauma to anyone. It, it also represented a very strange, I thought that he was sort of vulnerable it's the sort of thing that Democrats are usually accused of, being too anxious about offending people or causing them to go through terrible events. In this case, he almost relished the fact that, that mothers and fathers, yes, you're quite right, he divided them between mothers stay at home and dads go out to work, um, just, like, just like in the 50s, which is where his brain is set. Yeah. <laughs> the, but uh, the, 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 this joy in, in, in pointing out that, hey, we're not, we're not safe. Well, you're not safe crossing the road. You're not safe, you know, getting into an aeroplane. You're not safe getting onto a train. You're not safe doing all sorts of things. Not like. safe, cro not safe crossing a bridge. Blame the president. And this is Clinton, by the way, who gets sort of double billing now. Did you notice every time anyone said Obama, they also oh, yeah. Clinton as if somehow she's not, more than the vice president. She's the co-president. She's now, you know, completely bound at the hip with uh, with uh, President Obama that in many respects of course you know she is a follow on from what for what he wants to do but this essential thing to get in uh, Mrs Clinton's name at every time that you attack Obama for other reasons is uh, hilarious anyway it ain't going to do the trick for Chris Christie he's he's got uh, one chance really if he if he does pretty well in New Hampshire which is a good blue-collar place. He might well do very well. He's been doing a lot of work out there, too. He might well survive. If he limps through, the establishment have got to find one candidate, and it's going to be Rubio, or it's going to be Jeb, or it's going to be Chris Christie. And they're going to go up against Trump, who they hope has disappeared by that time, and Cruz, and uh, that's about it, because uh, Ben Carson's melted away in front of our eyes, like the Wicked Witch of the West. He's gone. So... 
that's what it's going to be in the end, a divide between uh, pleasing, in order to get through the primaries, pleasing the sort of people who go after Trump and Cruz, but then doing a fast left turn in order to get to the general election. This time it looks as if the establishment uh, of uh, the Republican Party, hugely powerful people, by the way, immensely rich, they're not used to being told no by anybody, and the fact is they've been outmaneuvered by Trump, and it's going to be very interesting to see whether they can get themselves back on track with someone they think is electable. But last night, there was very little evidence. All the, the electable people looked either weak or silly, and all the strong pe- people looked frighteningly strong. I think that was a great analysis. You also kind of um, talked about what I think some people are calling, quote-unquote, the soul of the Republican Party, where you do have, you know, Cruz, uh, or I guess I should say Trump, Cruz, and uh, Carson on, you know, the one side and the established, quote-unquote, establishment candidates on the other. And again, I really was taken aback by, I guess I shouldn't be, but the fear-mongering by Chris Christie. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I couldn't put it into words, but there was a joy in his, you know, voice that he was able to try to fearmonger people. Paul Begala actually, uh, you know, said that I thought accurately after watching the, the debate that Chris Christie was, you know, basically Paul was saying that there there was justification for having some fear uh, after the Paris and San Bernardino attacks. But Chris Christie was almost ratcheting it up to another level. Um, and here's an exchange I wanted to play regarding Chris Christie trying to act so uh, tough and Rand Paul kind of calling him out in what I thought was a, a great uh, exchange between the two uh, regarding Russia. If the U.S. imposed a no-fly zone over Syria and a Russian plane encroached, invaded that no-fly zone, would you be prepared to shoot down that Russian plane and risk war with Russia? Not only are we prepared to do it, I would do it. A no-fly zone means a no-fly zone. Wolf, that's what it means. See, maybe, maybe because I'm from New Jersey, I just kind of plain language hang up. But I would make very clear, I would not talk to Vladimir Putin. In fact, I would talk to Vladimir Putin a lot. And I'd say to him, listen, Mr. President, there's no fly zone in Syria. You fly in, it applies to you. And yes, we would shoot down the planes of Russian pilots if, in fact, they were stupid enough to think that this president was the same feckless weakling that the president we have in the Oval Office is right now. <laughs> Senator Paul. Senator Paul, I want you to respond uh, to what we just heard from Governor Christie, uh, if there was a no-fly zone, you say that potentially could lead to World War III. Why? Well, I think if you're in favor of World War III, you have your candidate. You know, here's the, here's the thing. My goodness, what we want in a leader is someone with judgment, not someone who is so reckless as to stand on the stage and say, yes, I'm jumping up and down. I'm going to shoot, shoot down Russian planes. Russia already flies in that airspace. It may or not, may not be something we're in love with the fact that they're there, but they were invited by Iraq and by Syria to fly in that airspace. And so if we announce that we're going to have a no-fly zone, and others have said this, Hillary Clinton's also for it, it is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for World War III. We need to confront Russia from a position of strength, but we don't need to confront Russia from a point of recklessness that would lead to war. This is something, this type of judgment, you know, it's, it's having that kind of judgment, who you would appoint and how you're going to conduct affairs, that is incredibly important. I mean, I think when we think about the judgment of someone who might want World War III, we might think about someone who might shut down a bridge because they don't like their friends. They don't want to, you know, they want to get a Democrat. 
I have to say, Nicholas, I really enjoyed that last part by Rand Paul, but I think it just highlights how, you know, over the top Chris Christie was trying to be. And I think that, you know, Jeb Bush didn't go that far, but I think that's what you're seeing from, quote unquote, the establishment side. And I think, honestly, that gets overshadowed because of how outrageous Donald Trump has been with his comments. It's like the, quote unquote, more moderate Republicans. I mean, these are the type of things we're hearing from them, but they don't necessarily get as much attention because they're even more crazy than usual because of Trump. So I think it's kind of been overshadowed. Yeah, it's interesting the way that uh, Ted Cruz now refers to people who are likely to support him or a candidate like him as conservatives. And he, re- he calls everybody else Republicans. Yeah. And so in his mind, he's looking for the conservative batch of people. And on the whole, the conservatives like Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, uh, libertarians in many respects, are actually, they need to disguise the fact that they're not as hawkish as the, the establishment people, who are very hawkish. The, the, the old establishment just follows in the George W. Bush, well, every last uh, Eisenhower onwards, every Republican president has been very keen on defense and so on, and spending and everything else. And in contrast to that, you have people like Cruz and Rand Paul, who actually have a more tempered view on the whole. But when it comes to a, a big debate like this, apart from Rand Paul, who is intellectually honest, You've got to give him, whether you agree with him or not, he's amazingly honest about it intellectually and actually has an intellect. He addresses subjects intellectually, which is interesting. But when you get to uh, people like uh, Cruz, then they talk about carpet bombing. They, they go the same old macho route that, that uh, all Republican candidates have to go, and that is you have to be bombastic, you have to uh, be quick on the draw, you have to be armed to the teeth, you have to uh, take offense nationally at a moment's notice and go and zap another country that you don't like or whatever. All of this, it's, uh, it's a lot of peacocking and preening. A lot of uh, what, what boys in the playground, it would be a peacock competition, a peeing competition. Yeah, yeah it was exactly. It, it's yeah, it was like, just, but it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It's just like a lot of dogs. I've seen a band of dogs wandering around, and they're all sort of peeing on lampposts one after the next in order to say, did I get it higher than you? And that's the sort of mentality you're dealing with. And these are the people who want to be the president of the United States. It's, if you think about it for a minute, and you're chilled to the bone. That's exactly <laughs> how I came away from that debate, you know, thinking, uh, yeah, I was already offended and, and you know, really scared by Donald Trump, but listening to these other candidates who are supposedly more moderate, I, I think they're just, just as, as crazy. They're just more well-spoken. Um, I want to invite <laughs> some of our calls uh, callers to uh, who have been holding to uh, join in the conversation before we go to break. Um, Michael in the Bronx on line one, good friend of the show. And Michael, I know you've spoken with uh, Nicholas and myself before. Uh, what did you think of last night's debate? Good. Hello, gentlemen. We need to make a few corrections here. And I'm addressing the Republican Party, or I call them the Judas Party or the Brutus Party. The thing is, first off, Mr. Ted Cruz, that you say that we're going to get after the bad guys, newsflash. Um, President Obama has already done that, most notably Osama bin Laden. Thank and you. newsflash, he's still doing it. So, you know, cut the crap right there. Secondly, as far as Mr. Trump goes, I am sick and tired of hearing him and other Republicans saying we need to secure the border, we need to secure the border, focusing only on the southern border, making um, making a whole bunch of stories about Mexicans being bad people, which are not all bad, and not giving a rat's rump 
about the northern borders, which is the Canadian border, where, ironically, there are whites coming from there, and nobody says nothing about two fugitives from Canada that made as far down as Utah because that border wasn't secured. And furthermore, Chris Christie, you boss hawk of New Jersey, you know, you know, find gratitude on your end after President Obama helped you and the people in your state after you were hit with um, Superstorm Sandy. Now you're going to call him weakling and all that when he's really been keeping this nation safe. And all these, all you Republicans listening out there, I feel a lot more safer with President Obama and a lot less safer with you guys. If we are not safe, it's your fault for two reasons. Number one, the ugly, hateful, malicious rhetoric you keep spewing out of your mouth that's inciting the violence. And two, you guys are too damn selfish and too damn in cahoots with the NRA that you don't even want to discuss about um, coming up with gun safety reform. You want to keep tossing that aside and won't even talk about the fact that the NRA has even been supplying um, weapons and guns to terrorists. So, again, cut the crap. Michael Michael gets his hallelujah. Michael, so many good points you raised there. I, I, I was thinking of the point that you made regarding President Obama going making the call to get Osama bin Laden when Chris Christie was calling him a, a feckless weakling, I just uh, that was absolutely disgusted. And I also thought that was really over the top. Uh, you know, obviously, like you said, he's desperate, Nicholas. But uh, it just it rang true to me. With uh, there was a Fox News contributor a couple days ago uh, who got suspended for two weeks for calling President Obama a pussy. It's like grow up, you know. First of all, and second of all, obviously, if you look at the facts, the president has kept us safe and you know ted cruz went after president obama for bringing up guns after the san bernardino shooting uh when let's see how were the people killed well with ar-15s so um you know i thought it was very disappointing not that i expected any talk of you know reigning in uh gun violence from the republicans but very interesting that that was not brought up at all in uh, a national uh, security debate and uh before we uh i'm gonna let nicholas weigh in on michael's comments uh, right after this break we're gonna have one one more segment. We're going to wrap up uh, with uh, Nicholas uh, in this last segment. He's going to stay with us right till the end. If you'd like to join us and speak with uh, Nicholas or myself, like Michael in the Bronx did, you can do so by giving us a shout at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. We'll be back with your calls and uh, one or two more pieces of audio if we have time right after this break. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by our good friend of the show, Nicholas Wapshot. Uh, before the break, we heard from our good friend Michael in the Bronx. And, Nicholas, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to uh, the three points that he made. Ah, well, now, Michael, I think, um, who is a great friend, of course, we've spoken many times before, uh, he suffers from what all of us have to suffer from, I think, which is trying to make sense of people who are making remarks not because they believe them, but because they've got to say that in order to get onto the next stage. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of way of madness if you're trying to put all the bits of the jigsaw together and hoping that they will all fit in a nice square. The fact is that all of these people at the moment are running in various directions trying to appeal to a, a, a sort of instinctive, a mythical creature, a, a group 
group of voters who are going to propel them into the White House. And rationality isn't really in it anymore, I don't think. They, they are now on, on a game plan, and they will say everything they have to say. But it's, a lo it's long gone from the time when you can actually hold them to account, because uh, none of these pieces fit. The, the logic doesn't work, is what I'd say to Michael. So uh, don't spend too much time trying to make it work, because they won't. <laughs> Very well put. I mean, I think they were, uh, there was some good points about trying to fact-check uh, some of the Republicans uh, from this debate, and there was actually a point that CNN brought up which if we have a minute, I'll play it towards the end, but I don't want to miss out in getting to uh, our callers on hold. So let's go next to uh, Reggie in Georgia. Reggie, go ahead with your comments. Uh, how you doing, Mark and Morgan? Nicholas Warshot. Happy, happy hump day to you both. Thank you. You too. Okay, well, as I said to you before, Mark and Morgan, I'll say it again just to reiterate it for you. Why would you, why would you want to have conservative radio talk shows moderate, uh, moderate GOP convention? As I said to you before, they're nothing more than mere bloviating and opinion makers. You, you had Hugh Hewitt, Dana Bash, and somebody else I can't name right now. But why, don't they just, why didn't they just complete the set? Why didn't they just add on to a, you know, Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck next time to complete the entire set to moderate these people? Because you know they're going to throw them, ask them, throw them softball questions so they can get softball answers in return. I, mean, uh, I I was irritated about Hugh Hewitt being there, too, because, you know, there was uh, some people on the left who thought, OK, well, if you're going to do that, you know, CNN, then why not have a, a progressive, uh, you know, more progressive organization like MoveOn.org or someone ask questions at the Democratic debate if you really want to be that fair, where instead, you know, you don't get anything like that. But I, I thought Hugh Hewitt was, you know, he did OK. He was the, the part where Trump agreed to um commit to the Republican Party, Hugh Hewitt couldn't stop clapping, and it was just like, come on, like, show some sort of objectivity. Like, I was, I thought that was pretty pathetic, Nicholas. What did you think? Uh, I didn't worry too much about that. I did, on the whole, compared to the other debates, I thought it was pretty well ordered. I mean, uh, the, the, true. the missing name, by the way, is Wolf Blitzer. It's That's right. Difficult to forget, but, I mean, he, he holds up CNN. I mean, you know, he's an extraordinary... He did a very good job, because, it, oh, my... It was like... And uh, it, like, he was pretty strict with them, too. I mean, he, you know, senators shut up and sit down, you know, it was, yeah. it was quite a common remark from him. So I'm not... No, no, I'm not too worried about that. Though the point that, uh, that Reggie just raised, which is... Uh, or maybe you did, about having Rush Limbaugh would be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Because Rush obviously couldn't care less what he says. That's and true. Exactly. And he's got himself, you know, we, we already know that he's backing Cruz over Trump. I would really like to see Rush Limbaugh uh, live uh, addressing Trump. Uh, that would be, you know, that would be, yeah, a, that, that would be good a, entertainment. A I would pay, pay good money to see. <laughs> I'm right there with you, Nicholas. Nicholas, uh, we have just about a minute left. So um, I just your final thoughts on this debate and uh, what we're looking at heading into Iowa and New Hampshire. Well, I must say that for those of us, uh, Mark, you and I are addicted to this stuff. For those of us who watch politics as a sort of contact sport, uh, it was a very good result for everybody all around last night in as much as nobody was actually knocked out. Uh, nobody advanced very much and nobody went back very much, uh, which is good because the, the more people there are and the longer it goes on, uh, and I don't understand why the Republicans don't get this, the more this horror show goes on in front of the American people, uh, the more they are likely to lose the general election. And I don't think that anything happened last night where anybody of a moderate disposition, an independent voter, would say, ah, now here's a candidate I could really go for. Nicholas, absolutely uh, well said. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Check out Nicholas on Twitter at NWAPSHOT. It's been a pleasure.